All right, so I want to just kind of recap over the last three messages. Uh, the first one that I ministered was a disciple abides in the words of Jesus, okay? Loves other believers or disciples, aims to become a friend of Jesus, okay? Uh, Pastor Jeremy shared that a discipleship is conversation. It's teaching God's word. Correction, helping others make the right choices. Coaching, teaching and encouraging others to live out our lives for Christ. And then Pastor Mancha said that a disciple is one who follows the teachings of another, one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrine of another. And the question that he phrased for all of us is, who do you say Jesus is? And so I want to jump into, uh, first off, he, he ministered on, on Peter a bit. And so I was like, man, that, that was kind of like, that was the big, I wanted to talk about Peter. But I still am going to talk about Peter because I feel like it just lined right up. And so we're going to read about Peter and we're going to read about this. I want you to understand this. This series, when it says disciple, okay, I, the idea was this. All of us have a preconceived position or idea or, or just like a, like a position that, that we think this is what a disciple is and this is what a disciple isn't, okay? Some of us might look at that word and think like, oh, that's somebody that is like super holy. You know, they, they are just, you know, they're amazing. They do nothing wrong. They have no sin in their life. And we may think that. And so what I want to do is bring us a healthy perspective on what a disciple is. Others might not have any thought of the word. They might not have any, any position at all of disciple. It's just a distant word. They have no definition, no actually comparison to even think what it is. So when I, when I put this series together, the idea was to bring that into a healthy perspective that all of us could walk forward knowing what a disciple is and what a disciple isn't. So Peter, and we're going to focus on him uh, because he's a huge example. A lot of people that, that are teachers of the word and, and scripture, they, they like to say that Peter is almost a representation of the church, like the way we are as followers of Jesus. Okay, so we're going to start in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. And so I'm going to read and stop and read and stop, but we're going to try to break this down a little bit. So Luke 5, 1 through 11. It says this, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So what we know is this. The fishermen that he saw were already done for the day. Washing the nets is the signal that they were done. Okay, so it's, it's like, you know, Ricky, who's a painter. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, when you're done painting for the day, you, you, you wash out your roller, your brushes, all that stuff, right? So it's, it's this idea that when you're done for the day, you're cleaning everything, getting it done, right? So washing their nets. They were done for the day. They had concluded that the day of work was over and accepted that they got nothing that day. That's they accepted it. They were like, we, we didn't do what we needed to do today. We had no fish. So we accept it. We're done. All right? So then they go forward. And then verse 3, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So let's be clear. Peter was not a disciple yet. Okay? Jesus literally went to him, said, hey, let me use your boat to preach from. So let's be very clear. When we talk about uh, God using people, God, God utilizing someone's life, there right away is this idea that Simon or, or Simon Peter was not a disciple yet. He was not a holy man yet. But Jesus used his boat, 
used something that was very personal to him. This was Peter's way of life. So imagine whatever you do, painters, um, whatever you are, whatever, you know, musicians, if you're, a, I don't know, uh, what do we got? Different, different stuff in here. Uh, solar installation. <laughs> uh, we got some electricians. We got different things going on, right? So whatever you're doing, imagine Jesus utilizing whatever you were doing as a platform. So it's the idea of like, you know, let's just say someone is in construction and someone's, uh, you know, building a, a building and they're working up there and then Jesus goes, hey, let me preach from where you're at. And that dude is like, all right, go ahead. That's all that happened there. There, were, there was, you know, that was it. Jesus said, hey, let me use what you're doing. So we go into verse 4 now. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. So they, he, okay, so Jesus tells Peter, I know you already finished for the day, but go back out and put your net down again. And, and then Peter tells Jesus, we already did that, right? <laughs> and that's a lot like all of us. <laughs> I already did that. You know, pray. I already did that. Pray again. I've, I've been doing that. Nothing. Nothing, right? So Jesus tells him, just go out, you know, do it. And he says, uh, Peter says, we did that already. And nothing happened. And then, but at your word, I will let down the nets. So again, Peter said, we already did that. Jesus said, do it again. <laughs> and this is where we start to see Jesus is becoming part of Peter's life. Because he, he, he becomes personal with him now. Jesus, we already did that. And Jesus is like, well, do it again. Right? Um, and, and think about this. Jesus, who was a carpenter by trade, is telling a fisherman how to fish. <laughs> I like to look at that because that's how the Bible, when people say, how does the Bible really apply to my life? Jesus applies to every part of your life. Every part. And so uh, in verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So here they have this hall so large, they can't handle it themselves. This is so descriptive of, uh, descriptive of our lives. We try so hard to make something work and be successful. We try it. Like Peter was out there, they were trying. They knew what they were doing. They were professional fishermen. And they got nothing. And we try that a lot of times. We, we do everything we can do to make it work and be successful. But the minute that God directs our steps, we see success that we're not even ready for. That's when, when God steps on the scene and directs us. Okay, We see success that we're not even ready for. In verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Okay, for whatever reason, Peter confessed his sinfulness. So Jesus is on the scene. He's in his boat. He's with them. He tells them, go do this thing. Peter pulls up so many fish, more than they've ever seen. Yeah, they have to call other people. Say, come help us. This is too much. And, and it, the response to that, Peter says to Jesus, depart from me, meaning get away from me. You don't know what I do. You don't know what's going on in my life. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter confessed his sinfulness. Perhaps it was the large haul of fish. 
it maybe made him realize that he is unworthy of the goodness that Jesus brings into our lives. And that's the reality. The goodness that Jesus brings into our lives can be such a conviction. Because you realize, I'm not worth this. I don't deserve this. I deserve the ugly. I deserve the bad. And Jesus comes in and all the goodness makes you realize how good he is. In verse 9, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And so this is the beginning where uh, he would be designated as a disciple of Jesus. So everything before that, he, it was nothing to do with his position with Jesus. It was just Jesus stepping into his life. And then from here forward, we see that they left everything and followed him. Now, the reality is this. We needed Peter. We needed these disciples to follow Jesus. We needed them to leave everything and go with Jesus because they are the ones that literally brought us the words of Jesus. Okay, so we needed them to do that. So here is Peter, a true disciple of Jesus. And we see a portion of his life unfold in Scripture. We know that Jesus himself told Peter to follow him. We know that Peter recognized his sinful nature in the presence of Jesus. As you read your Bible, you'll find Peter to be a great example of our Christian walk. Okay, The ups and the downs, the lessons learned in failure, and the overconfidence built up in moments of success. There are a few counts of Peter's life that we're going to go through, but one very well-known one is the time that Peter walked on water with Jesus. Okay, I don't know if you ever read that, but we know that Jesus walked on water, and, and Peter walked on the water with Jesus. So this is, this is a miraculous thing, right? So we're going to read it, Matthew 14, 22-33. It says this, Immediately he made disciples, the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So this is something that's very interesting because there's a lot of times that we'll, we'll pray and we'll ask God <laughs> for something. Lord, use me for this. Or I'll do this. You know, can you give me this? You know, you're asking God. And then God gives it to you and you're overwhelmed by it. And you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do with all this? Lord, why did you give me this? You know, maybe, uh, you know, there's, a, there's the joke of the person who's praying for a spouse, you know, and, and they're like, you know, I need a spouse. Lord, bring me a spouse. And then they get married, and they're like, God, why did you bring me this spouse? <laughs> you know, why did you do this? You prayed for it. 
But it's the reality of Peter when he tells Jesus, he says, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. You know, let me go with you. If it's you, let me go with you. And then Jesus is like, well, all right, let's go. And then Peter's out there and he gets afraid and he starts to sink. But Peter asked Jesus to command him to come. And once he was in, he asked Jesus to save him. Now imagine Peter, again, a disciple of Jesus, who in front of all of his dudes, <laughs> the other disciples, who else knows was there, who else saw this happen. But he goes out into the water and he's on the water walking to Jesus. But then he starts to sink. <laughs> and imagine all the people who are watching. They're like, yeah, Peter tried to walk on the water. He did a little bit, but then he fell in. <laughs> You know, and everything became, becomes a joke or like a negative position of like, oh, he almost did it. Yeah, he was, he was trying. You know, it was a cute, little, little good try. <laughs> you know, he, he, he tried, but he fell. He didn't really believe. He doubted. He didn't really trust Jesus. Think about the way that he must have felt. He was doing something miraculous and in it failed. And that's, again, a lot of us. We, get, we see God move, and we're like, wow, God, look what you're doing. And in the midst of it, we feel like we failed, and a lot of times we do. And we ask Jesus to help us. But Peter was probably in this position or this mind, you know, I, I did believe. I did trust Jesus. I do believe him. I do trust him. But I was scared. I just got scared. And, and in that, we can see a def definition of a disciple. They're not perfect. Disciples get scared. Disciples, they, they step out in faith and get scared. And these things happen that surround us, our circumstance, and we begin to just get scared. And that's the reality of being a disciple. It's not the perfection of saying, I trust Jesus to the fullest, 100%. It's, it's saying, I want to do that. I want to get there. And then what happens is, is you start taking those steps. Steps of faith, we like to call them. Okay, you do things outside of what would be normal, and you take the step of faith, and then this the whole situation implodes or explodes, you know, and like it just becomes like, oh man, maybe that was the wrong move. Maybe it was. But the reality is this: you have to take steps of faith, and in it, you're gonna get scared. And the situation, everything may feel like it's coming in on you. And we see Peter, he just called out to Jesus. It's in this account of the miraculous that we can see the circumstance that you're in can be so big that you can take your attention off of Jesus. That's a disciple. The circumstance you're in can be so big that you can take your attention off of Jesus. But he's still there. And the minute we call out for him, he reaches and pulls us up. And that's what a disciple is. We take this step of faith, and we come into this place where maybe we're scared. It's too much. We're overwhelmed. But we call out to Jesus. That's a disciple. Matthew 16, 13 through 17. And we're going through Peter's life right here. In verse 13 of chapter 16, it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. So we see that Jesus literally is confirming in Peter saying, you heard from God, man. That, that was God. You, he talked to you. You learn this not from your flesh and blood, but from our Father in heaven. 
Imagine the words of Jesus confirming what God told you. Flesh and blood has not revealed this, but Peter began to see and know in the spirit. And in that, we see the disciple grows, that, that he begins to see at, in a spiritual perspective versus the fleshly one. Okay? Now, I'm one that would say I, I don't um, over-spiritualize. Like if I'm walking down or if I'm walking in my house and a cup falls over, I'm not like, oh, my gosh, there's a demon. I'm going to, you know, get out of my house. You know, it's, I don't do that. The cup fell over. That's, that's the way I see it. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, like sarcastic. I just, that's just me. I, I am not the one to over-spiritualize, okay? On top of that, I even think some people can go to church and become very spiritual. But I, I heard this. You get so, uh, um, you get so spiritually minded, you're no earthly good. You literally, everything's spiritual. The camera's not working. Oh, there's a demon in that camera. You know, like, and it's just, wait a minute, guys. Like, it could be it's not plugged in. You know, and, and that's the reality of we're looking at Peter. He began to have a spiritual perspective, and it was confirmed through Jesus. He saw it. He knew it. He knew who Jesus was. Okay? So we see this, that there is a spiritual perspective that you begin to have as a disciple of Jesus. You see and you know, you know what, man? I need to pray in this. You know, a big situation or a life change, and you're like, you know what? I'm not one to over-spiritualize, but I do want to pray, and I want to make sure God's in this. Because I know my flesh. I know that this job offer that's offering me six figures is great for me. I can make a lot of money. But I don't know if that money is going to take me to the place that God wants me. That's where you begin to say, I'm having a spiritual perspective. Because my flesh says, money, do it. (laughs) But my spirit says, let's pray, let's ask God. Okay, that's spiritual. So Peter went from, uh, but he did this though. He, he knew in the spirit, okay? And, and this is where it's, it's funny because you see him have this success of he knows who Jesus is and Jesus commends him like, yes, encourage. Yes, you heard from the Lord, man. That's God. But he, he knows in the spirit, but he goes from knowing in the spirit to acting in the flesh. That's something that a disciple has to be aware of. We can know in the spirit, but act in the flesh. You, you, can, you can be like, you know, oh, you know, Brother Tino, he has an anger problem, you know. No, I'm going to go beat him up, just so he knows. Just so he knows that his anger issue is, is there's always someone more angry than him. And it's like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> that makes no spiritual, biblical sense. Because what you're doing is you're knowing in the spirit, but acting in the flesh. And the reality is the disciple has to be aware that I can do this. We can make this mistake. We can make this mistake of saying, oh, I know what's going on. I'm going to go tell him. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. Why? Is it your place? Do you love them? Have you prayed and fasted for them for a week? You know, like, have you done all that before you're going to go tell them something that they need to hear? From knowing in the spirit to acting in the flesh, there is always going to be a hindrance and battle to our spirit. Always. There's always going to be something pushing against it. Peter thought he was speaking in a healthy way, okay? So in verse, uh, chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, we see this, okay? Chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. And this is Peter still, okay? This is Peter. He heard from God. He's like, you know, I know who you are, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, you know. 
And then Peter says this in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So let's just stop there. Peter rebuked Jesus. Think about that, guys. <laughs> Think about that. Peter goes to Jesus. I, I need to rebuke you. <laughs> what? See, that's what happens is a disciple has to begin to mature and understand and know Jesus is Lord, okay? His perspective on the situation became the most important thing for him. He did not stop and ask Jesus why. He went to him and told him, you're wrong, okay? And then 23, Jesus says this, and, but he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> you are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So imagine getting rebuked by Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's vicious, you know? Like, you love him. You're like, Jesus, man, I love you, Jesus. And he's like, I rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> what? You know, and, and that's Peter, and that's when we're talking about disciple, this is a disciple of Jesus. Jesus rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. <laughs> You're impeding what God wants to do. Stop talking. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And the reality is this, for us as Believers and disciples, followers of Jesus, we have a constant, a constant discipline that we must hold that says there are things that are of God and there are things that are of man. And we have to constantly be aware that we're having the right perspective on it. Peter knew who Jesus was, but Peter spoke of who and how he wanted Jesus to be. And that's something that all of us do. We, we you know, we want Jesus to be this, but not this. Why can't we all just love each other and get along? You know, well, Jesus taught us that there are some things that we cannot love, we cannot accept. And we don't like reading that. We don't like reading those scriptures. We don't like taking definition because it's almost offensive. It's like, oh, well, I don't want to offend those people. <laughs> we don't want to do those things. And the reality of if we're following and being discipled by Jesus we have to accept him and we have to have our, our, our thoughts on God's things. What does he want? What is he asking of us? From knowing in the spirit to acting in the flesh is where Peter was. And, and like I said, Peter thought he was speaking in a healthy way. And that's the thing we always have to check in our spirits. You know, Peter thought he was right. He legitimately thought he had a valid point, a valid position, and went to Jesus. No, you're, that's not going to happen, Jesus. He thought he was right, but he wasn't. <laughs> and he had this depth spiritually that he knew who Jesus was, yet he still needed guidance to be told he was thinking wrong. So from Jesus saying, God spoke to you, to Jesus saying, Satan's using you. Matthew 26, verses 30 through 35. And like I said, this is, this is Peter. This is the, what a disciple looks like. So we're, we're going to go through this. 26, 30 to 35, it says this. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, 
you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. In verse 33, Peter answered him, Though they fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And then we go to verse 69 of the same chapter. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. In verse 70, but he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. Verse 71, and when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Verse 74, then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And if this, this isn't something that, you know, Peter failed. That's the truth. Jesus said, you'll deny me. Peter said, I'll never deny you. And some of us, we can make a confession of faith that says, ah, you know, I'm living for Jesus. And then the next week, it's like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to go to church. <laughs> and, and that's Peter. You know, I'll never leave you, Jesus. And then he says, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear I will not deny you. He denies him three times. The reality of a disciple. I'm painting a picture of this is a disciple of Jesus. This is someone that God has used greatly. And we see him and his failures over and over and over again. Peter, by his own confession, was a sinful man. Okay? He walked on water but fell in because of fear. He knew who Jesus is. He tried to rebuke Jesus. He denied even knowing Jesus after saying he would die before doing that. He was dejected and sorrowful and miserable. And after he failed to remain loyal to Jesus, it says that he, you know, he wept out, went out and wept bitterly. The brokenness when you realize you're not that great. You can't make it. All the things that you say and you promise and commit to and you fail at. But then something happens and Jesus appears to Peter and the other disciples again in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And we know it as the Great Commission. And Jesus came to and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So imagine Peter. He's, he's failed, right? He's failed. He wasn't loyal when he said he would be. He got afraid when he should have had faith with Jesus standing next to him. <laughs> in the miraculous, he should have been like, man, look at what we're doing. 
He failed in all these different areas. And then Jesus comes to them and commissions them, the great commission for us as the disciples. But imagine the part that must have stuck with Peter. You're still with me? Even after all I did? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Imagine Peter in his heart. Lord, you know I failed you. You know I rejected you. You know I didn't trust you when we were out on the water. I, I, I got scared, the situation. And he says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And imagine Peter's response. You're still with me? You're still going to walk with us? You're still going to be connected to us who failed you over and over and over again? You're still saying you're with us? Peter, the disciples, us as the church, he's still with us. Jesus is still with us, even in our failures. He says, I'm with you still. I'm with you to the end. Even through it all, even through the rejection and the failure, Jesus gave us a promise, I am with you always. And imagine that. Imagine. imagine. Just, just imagine a friend who, you, who you've had who you failed, backstab, you know, lied about, and they, they come to you, you know, hey, man, I know, I know, I know, I know what happened. I know, but we're still homies. This, this is Jesus saying, I know, I know. You went to church on Sunday, and you were done by Tuesday. <laughs> I know, but I'm still with you. I'm, sti- I'm still in your home. I'm walking with you. I'm in your car. I'm on the bus. You know, when you pray, I'm listening to you. When you're at school, when you're, when you're at home reading a book, watching a movie, I'm right there with you. There's nothing you can do. I'm with you. I'm loyal. I'm, I'm with you. And Peter and John, we see this in the book of Acts. And again, this is after Peter. There's all this, this failure. He messes up. He's not good enough. He knows who he is, a sinful man that, that just came in touch with a Savior named Jesus. And he's moving forward, and, and everything happens, and Jesus gives the great commission, and then they go out and they start preaching the gospel to the people in different cities. And we go into the book of Acts in chapter 4, verses 5 through 13, it says this, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Saiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? So what happened is they arrested Peter and John, for speaking about Jesus. They arrested them and put them in jail, kept them overnight, and then in the morning, they put them in a, a big crowd of people, and they said, uh, uh, by what power, by what name did you do this? And here again is Peter, who's failed. He messed up. He wasn't as loyal as he said he was. You know, he, he wasn't good enough. And then in verse 8, it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So now Peter's at this place where he's like, nah, Jesus is with me. I I have nothing to be ashamed of. Jesus is going to be with me even if you put me in prison. Even if you kill me. He's with me. 
In verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among by men which we must be saved. And so again, you see Peter, and he has this boldness, and he's speaking of Jesus now in this way that nobody can convince him otherwise, because he's no, he knows, he knows I was disloyal. I didn't trust Jesus when I should have. I, I didn't listen. I, I said things that, that I just couldn't follow through with, and Jesus is still with me. And because he's still with me, I'm going to speak the truth to all of you here. And then it goes into verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. The boldness of Peter and John. And just to stop and think about that, here is the boldness of a person that says, I know Jesus is with me. That's, the bold, that's where it comes from. I know Jesus is with me. Because I, I, he said through all the stuff, through all the things that I failed at, he came to us and he said, I'm gonna, I want you to go make disciples and I'm with you. I'm with you always. And perceived that they were uneducated common men and they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let me say it like this. There are no professional Christians. I, I don't know if you know that. People can think like, oh, you know, well, they're, they're the Christian. There are no professional Christians. There are none. There are only men and women who call on the name of Jesus to be saved. The world recognized the boldness of Peter. They recognized his lack of education, his commonality, but they also recognized that he had been with Jesus. Our goal is not to impress the world. That's not our goal. Our goal is not to be amazing so that the world can come in and be like, wow, you guys are amazing. No, that's not the goal. Our goal is to share that there is power in the name of Jesus that by which they and us can be saved. That is our goal. And the reality is the, the impression that happens to the world is, is life-changing because when we walk with Jesus and we share about him, we're not sharing of how perfect we are. We're sharing of how loyal and how perfect he is because we, we can share with others, listen, man, I failed Jesus. I said this, and then this happened. I thought he was going to do this, and it didn't happen, and I got mad at him. And that's what we share with people, because that's the truth. None of us here are perfect. None of us here walk with every single prayer answered and every miracle happening in our life. A disciple says, I discipline my life to follow him. I know I'm going to fail, but I keep going. A.W. Tozer said this, the goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we will ever be able to comprehend. The goodness of God is infinitely more wonderful than we will ever be able to comprehend. There is much more that, that God has for you. There's much more. But there's a reality of, of when we walk away and we, we say, I don't want that relationship anymore. Jesus is saying, hey, man, I'm right here. I'm right here. Andy Stanley said this, and then I'll hand it over to Pastor Mancha. You can come up, uh, Pastor Jeremy. Andy Stanley said this, and I thought it was so good. 
And I was like, this is, this is true. <laughs> this is for us. Grace is not reserved for good people. Grace underscores the goodness of God. Grace is not reserved for good people. All of us here, there's something in us that is sinful. It's our nature. Okay? And, and the scripture teaches us that grace is not reserved for good people. Remember Jesus when he meets Peter? He, he goes to him on his boat. You know, who knows what Peter had on his boat? Maybe he had like, you know, a barrel of wine that he gets drunk every day with. Who knows? But, but Jesus went into, got into his life and said, hey man, I'm going to be with you and then follow me. And that's the reality of what Jesus does. He comes to us in where we're at, what we're doing, and he says, I'm, I'm with you. I want to know you. You need to walk with me. That's who Jesus is. Grace is not reserved for good people. Grace underscores the goodness of God. Let's stand.